Hello, my name is Holly Owens, and welcome to Ed Up Ed Tech, the podcast that keeps you in the know about all the latest ed tech happenings. We interview guests from around the globe to give you deeper insights into the ed tech industry, the field of instructional design, and more. We're proudly a part of America's leading podcast network, the EdUp Experience. It's time to sit back and enjoy the latest episode of EdUp EdTech. Here's what's coming up on this episode. We know we promote quality for the learners, and that's absolutely what it's all about. For everything that happened with COVID and Silver Lining has been that we're having conversations now that we weren't having before about our students. In my own degree, I know we had interdisciplinary studies, but that was very small. But now, the opportunity is there to build your own path. We're really wanting to tighten up that learning ecosystem experience so that it's as seamless as possible. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of EdUp EdTech. My name is Holly Owens, and I'm your host, and today is going to be a fun one. We have a very special guest with us. We have my friend, Jarrett Carter, who is the Associate Vice President of Integrative Learning Design at the University of Maryland Global Campus. Jarrett, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. I am too. And I'm glad that you agreed to come on and tell us about your journey into this space. So let's get into it. Tell us all about yourself and your journey into this education space and learning design. You have a lot of learning design in your background. Yeah, sure. So you said I'm at University of Maryland Global Campus now with our integrative learning design team. And what's funny about my journey into it is that I was listening to your recent episode with Tim Slate, and I know that he was mentioning that very few people take a conventional path into the learning design space. And mine um, is pretty similar (laughs) that I didn't set out to do it. We don't Um, say in our in our classes when they ask us in elementary school, hey, when I grow up, I want to be an instructional designer or learning designer. That's not a thing. Right, right. And the funny thing about it is I didn't even know this field existed, to your point, right? And it's funny, it wasn't really until the pandemic that my family even understood what I did. One time I overheard my mom talking to somebody, she said, oh yeah, my son does IT at the university. And I said, well, no, no, that's that's not what I do. My dad thought I was a programmer. My grandma thought I was a professor. And it wasn't really until the pandemic when my mom was an adjunct instructor and she was on the phone with me one time and had, you know, was talking about something about she's trying to figure out something with her rubrics. And I said, oh, no, I can help you with that. I was talking to my aunt one time. She's also an adjunct instructor. And she had a question about how does she engage um, her students on Zoom now that she's teaching remote. And I said, no, I can do that. So now everybody knows what I do. So I was no different. I didn't know. I'm so happy for you because I have the same same issues. IT support, programmer, Mm -hmm. building websites all of it. (laughs) Right, right. And so it it literally became a game every Christmas dinner, right? Because, you know, what would happen is, you know, an aunt or an uncle, when the conversation would die down, say, now, Jared, what do you do again? We we know you're working. We know you're doing great things in Maryland, but what do you do again? (laughs) So thankfully, that hasn't been the case since 2020. Now everybody knows, as you and I have talked about before offline, 
our work is so readily apparent now after the pandemic. So that's that's a win. But my journey into learning design has been very unconventional. I knew when I was graduating college that, or graduating high school rather, that I wanted to do work that involved technology, that involved using both my left and right brain. And for some reason, you know, I was I was just having trouble deciding what path to take. And so I said, oh, well, I like computers. I'm just going to go into computer science. And that major lasted all but a weekend. Um, <laughs> because what I'm realizing now, looking back, is that I think what I really wanted to do was human-computer interaction. But the coursework that I took, of course, was computer science. And I took a computer networking course. And it only took, again, one class for me to realize I was in the wrong major. I knew that my parents would get upset if I said I was undecided. And so like any good college student, I changed to a communications major because it was a very compatible major for what I would ever I would uh, transfer into. I majored in that. By the end of my junior year, I realized, okay, I still need to figure out what I want to do. So I found a master's program in my area at Adelphi University in New York. And they had an educational technology master's program that they were starting up. So I said, oh, this kind of fuses what I want to do because, you know, I thought about going into elementary you got education. got in at the beginning of it? Yep. Oh, I, was, that's I, was a, so I was part cool. of the inaugural cohort. <laughs> we didn't know that. That's awesome. And it was really cool because I enjoyed that master's program so much both because there's this misconception that your master's program is just all this busy work and things like that. But what was really great was two things about that program. The first was that it was a chance to fully delve into something that I wanted to study, right? There's a lot more autonomy in a master's program to study what I wanted to study. But there was even further autonomy because it was a new program that there wasn't a lot of bureaucracy to study what I wanted to study. Right. And so we could be in a course and our program director, and he and I still keep up to this day, we could be in the middle of midway through the course. And if we decided we want to take a different direction, we could. And so that really helped hone my interest in instructional design because when he found me a graduate assistantship in our faculty development office, and again, I took it because grad students need money. I didn't know what instructional design we was. We always and need I, money. Right. Grad students are not. <laughs> and especially, well, you and I both also know the cost of living in New York also, right? Oh, yes. Um, Long Island. Utah, Long yes. Island is something else. The, the, the property taxes are extremely high. I know, I know. And so I took it and when I tell you that I fell in love with it, I love the work. It was exactly what I have been wanting to do, the left brain, right brain, working with faculty, getting to work with diverse subject areas, right? And so, you know, when I finished my grad assistantship, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And so I am a boomerang um, person at UMGC because- I saw um, that this morning. I was like, oh, we worked there before. That's cool too. I did. I did. And so, you know, they took a chance on me as, as a new instructional designer and I had a wonderful time there. I left. And when I left, somebody on my team, she said, oh, Jared, you're going to be back. And I said, no, I think I'm ready to move on. And sure enough, um, about three and a half years later, I came back and I have just been so happy here. And I think the work that we're doing, particularly at UMGC, is really fun in the learning design space because we're working with non-traditional students. We're working at a global scale. We're leaning in a lot to the disruption that's happening in higher ed right now. And so I think that yeah. just leads to a lot of innovation and just 
really cool projects that I feel like are once in a career opportunities. Absolutely. And you can just tell, like I was looking at your profile and your growth over the years, you could just tell how passionate you are about this just from the way you grew into this particular role. It's really, Mm -hmm. it's really like, I'm like, I want to be like Jarrett when I grow up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Definitely 100%. So tell us, Jarrett, do you have any favorite education related quotes that you want to share with the audience or anybody you want to shout out who's inspired you along this journey? So at the expense of sounding cliche, I think my mom <laughs> was somebody <fine>. who, <laughs> well, I feel like people oftentimes use like their mom as the fallback answer, but really and truly, and I actually talked about her in my interview process when I came back to UMGC, because my mom has really modeled non-traditional education for me and meeting people where they are. Growing up, she taught continuing education courses, both at the local high school, at local colleges. My mom is an adjunct instructor now at different universities. She actually teaches at UMGC also. And, How cool. You know, it's it's yeah. in the family. It's in the family. That's it's, nice. It is in the family. And so what's amazing about that and, you know, watching my mom, I, what I reflect on it is that a lot of the students in her courses were students who needed another chance. A lot of times they were women of color who were going for a promotion. And this was all before e-learning was as ubiquitous as it is now, right? So my mom was teaching a lot, maybe from the mid nineties to the mid two thousands and watching my mom sometimes teach, because of course, when she couldn't find a babysitter, we had to sit in the back of the classroom and just not make any noise. And so watching students come to her and saying, I got the promotion because of this communications course that you taught, or I'm going for this new job because of this writing course that you taught and things like that. And so watching her use education both as a means of access, but also as a way to empower people has been really powerful to me. And I think that's been a a theme now in my career, right? Because at UMGC, we're also working with a lot of students who otherwise would not attend, you know, a residential four-year university because they're oftentimes working or they're in the military or they balancing family and things like that at UMGC really does a lot around adult students and making sure that they are supported in what they're doing. So both there with my dissertation and other things, a lot of my interest is around, you know, how do we continue to extend the reach of higher education and make it accessible to more people and make it not just accessible to get in, but making sure that it's conducive to the diversity of lifestyles that people have, because not everybody can do what I did for my master's degree and just drop everything and go full time, right? Right. There's so many different things. definitely a challenge, like you have to balance so much as you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love that story about your mom and your be have to sit in the classroom sometimes and be quiet and listen, but I'm so glad to hear about the impact that that had on you and that the program was put in your path for a reason and that this, that, that happened and it was such a good, good experience for you. Cause that really shapes and mold how you feel and your philosophies, your ideologies around what this field is. I'm glad right. to hear that you had a good experience because all too often times I talk to people and not so good experience. They didn't really learn what instructional design or learning design was. It's so important. I think we we judge mm-hmm. these programs more because they are ed tech or instructional design programs. And these instructors have people watching them and seeing what they do and if they're doing right. certain things. So I'm glad to hear that your experience was good. I may be speaking from experience as a person who analyzes a certain program. No names will be mentioned. 
It's real though. What's always funny is at various jobs that I've had, right? You know, whenever we have to take trainings for, you know, the different compliance trainings that we all take, I think that we're the toughest crowd to please, right? Because we'll say they didn't just use understand as a learning objective, did they? Right? Like that's not (laughs) measurable or I wouldn't have done this way. I've become a big believer in Mayor's principles for multimedia design. So I'll say, why is this thing spinning in the corner of the video? It's messing up with my cognitive load and things like that. So I agree. We can definitely be tough customers sometimes. Yeah, that's also good that. because we know we promote quality for the learners. And that's Absolutely. what it's all about. So you started talking a bit about University of Maryland Global Campus or UMGC, aka University of Maryland University College, as it used to be called. Tell us about the institution. Tell us what you're doing there, some initiatives you have going on. We're excited to hear about it. Absolutely. So University of Maryland Global Campus, like you said, uh, when I first joined uh, the first time it was University College. So we serve, I think, 45,000 students worldwide. So we we have a presence at different campuses all across the globe. And we started out as a primarily military school. From 1947, we were flying instructors out to different military bases all across Europe and Asia. And now we've evolved to doing a lot of that online as well as having a heavy uh, civilian student presence as well. And we're continuing to evolve in all of that, right? You know, our president, Greg Fowler, has talked often that we have to make sure that we're not just seeing our identity now as an online school because we didn't start out as an online school. And again, it's been really cool to do things at scale, right? So we serve a lot of adult students, although our student body, like a lot of universities, is beginning to trend younger also. And so we right now, so we offer everything from certificates to undergraduate degrees, to graduate degrees, to including doctorate degrees. The position that I have, I started it this past summer, um, summer of 2022, and integrative learning design was formed as a way to recognize that we're better together when we design things. And oftentimes when we're designing, it can be very much in a silo. We will have discussions about program design with one set of stakeholders, then we move the course design with another set of stakeholders, then we talk about marketing with another set of stakeholders, and then, and it's sort of passing hands. But this team was really formed to say, okay, how do we get that started from the beginning, right? And how do we make sure that we're bringing in the right people from the very beginning so that a lot of decisions that need to be made are well-informed and that they represent the variety of disciplines that people come with? That's been really exciting. And I think that, again, this team at this time of recording is about six months old, but I think we are finally hitting our stride with a lot of where we're going, right? Because, you know, there's a lot happening in the higher ed landscape right now. Enrollments are down. Students have different demands of what they're looking for. Students are learning things on TikTok now. I've even talked about the fact that on LinkedIn that I don't think it's coincidence that one of the number one songs on the radio this past summer was a song about quitting a toxic job, right? And talking about Break My Soul by Beyonce. Yeah. Oh my God, you work Beyonce into the episode. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Jared, you're top notch. You're top notch. (laughs) What a fun episode. Yeah. And so I think that's a cultural shift. I think about another person who's influenced my view of education was my dad, right? Because when he was ready to advance in his career, he went to night school in the 90s, got his um, MPA. And so Gen Z now, they're not waiting two years to complete a degree. A lot of it is this job is not serving my mental health and all of that, which I think is 
great. I think that they're prioritizing their mental health, but that means that they want to get into classes faster. They want to acquire learning faster. And how do we also recognize that learning as they're going through it? So not waiting until they finish their full course of study, but how do we recognize skills, the competencies that they are gaining as they go through it, right? And recognizing that it may culminate in a degree, it may not. We're looking at that and just looking again at a lot of the changes that are happening in the market that we want to be able to lean into because I think universities really are at a crossroads right now and we need to make sure that we're reading the room with the students that we're serving so that we don't fall behind. Yeah, definitely have to kind of tailor things to the current audience and COVID changed all that for higher education, higher education. My opinion was in stagnant. Mm -hmm. Are we going to be traditionalist? Are we going to be innovative? They were kind of struggling between the two, but I feel like COVID has really prompted them to reconsider what they're doing, especially what you're talking about for Gen Z. And they want these credentials. They want them faster. Still want that quality learning experience, but they want it in a way that is not lecture-based. They want to build with credentials. They maybe want to build their own degree, which Mm -hmm. thinking about to our college days, like building my own degree, I know we had interdisciplinary studies, but that was very small. There wasn't a lot of opportunity there, but now the opportunity is there to build your own path. And I think that's what I wish I had in my undergraduate degree, right? Because going back to the story I was telling at the beginning, I wish I could have sat down, right? And kind of said, okay, these are some of the different things that I'm interested in. How do I build this into like a professional, you know, or not an academic goal rather in terms of what I want to do. So I'm really excited that we're moving closer to that for students. And like you said, the quality is paramount. Students still want a high quality learning experience. They still want quality interactions with their instructor. And they also, one of the things when I was doing research for my dissertation is realizing too that, particularly for adult learners who have professional experience, life experience, all of that, they want that honored in the classroom also, right? They don't want to sit in a class where they're kind of being told, these are the fundamentals of how to create a project plan. And the whole time they're sitting there like, I know I do this every day for work. And they're trying to upgrade their skills and all of that. So how do we meet even those students where they are as well? Absolutely. 100%. All the stuff you're you're saying here is so important for higher ed to consider. And I know there's a lot of articles and things floating around LinkedIn about this. Where mm-hmm. where are they going to go in, in the next 10 years? I'm really excited to see what happens. I hope they don't decide to go back to the old ways. <laughs> I hope not. I was having a conversation with a colleague at a uh, community college And we were talking at a round table and they were saying, oh, you know, what we really just need to do is not look at the last couple of years since COVID because those were exception years. And what I said was, we don't know that we're going to recover those students because so far that hasn't been the case. And I think that COVID has just culturally shifted so many expectations and cultural norms, right, about how we do so many things in life, right? And education is no different. And frankly, you know, education is, to your point, it's been long overdue across the across the board from K-12 all the way through higher ed has been overdue for, I think, different transformations and um, disruptions. I think that it's, an, it's something that has to evolve and you can evolve while maintaining the quality, maintaining um, the standard of excellence that our students are counting on us for, but also recognizing that their lives have changed since the, since the pandemic. And we need to make sure that, again, we're not just keeping up, but honestly staying ahead of all of that so that we're not, you know, running behind students playing catch up. 
Yeah, that catch-up thing is definitely a thing. And I love that you mentioned that the coming in with the industry experience, because sometimes I feel like point in our careers, we should have already been, I don't want to say given, but a doctor. <laughs> right. If there was, if there were opportunities for like honorary doctors, sometimes when you see other people, big names get, I'm like, all, right. all the work that we've done in this field, we could probably teach a course right now. Yes, <laughs> you know, on absolutely. absolutely. I'm not going oh, and, and to the do, trauma yeah. of dissertation stuff, but I want to know in the next six months to a year, what are some things that you're really excited about that UMGC is planning, particularly at the institution as a whole or in your area? Yeah, so I'm really, really excited, again, about really advancing this work around the integrated design and really um, pulling people in together sooner as we're looking at what talk, type of offerings we want to offer and things like that. Because I think that how many times have we, as instructional designers, taken on a course development and said, oh, well, if I was in the program meeting, I would have done this. Or if we're in a program design meeting saying, oh, if I was in initial planning meetings and things like that, I would have done this. So I think I'm really excited to see what our collective experience brings on that. And I know we're going to be doing more of that in the coming month. I'm also excited about increasing work that we're doing around DEI, um, both for faculty and staff, but primarily for students, right? And recognizing that our students come with such a diversity of expertise. And so that's something that we're doing both at the university level, as well as at the um, academic affairs level. Um, and actually, I'm one of the, I'm one of the co-leads for the academic affairs working group um, on DEI. And it's just really exciting because, you know, again, as we're talking about evolving experiences that we're having with the pandemic, you know, we're also realizing that people's experiences have evolved differently in the pandemic, just because, again, and there's such a diversity there. And I think the other thing that, you know, I'm really excited about is a lot of the work that we're also doing to really look at the student life cycle journey. And at a, at a university, it's something that we're continuing to refine, right? And making sure that student experience is as seamless as it needs to be and that we're, we're taking away the roadblocks that don't need to be there, right? If students are struggling with a particular concept or whatever in their course of learning, that's one thing. But if they're struggling with bureaucracy and things like that that don't need to be there, that doesn't need to be there. And I think that at the integrative right. learning design level, my team and I have been working a lot on what I've been calling the student ecosystem, right? So making sure that it's also a smooth ecosystem. And that's includes of even of the tools. I've been using the analogy that, so I'm very invested in the Apple ecosystem, right? Um, I have an <laughs> iPhone, Apple I Watch. And yeah, <laughs> and if I, if I listed off all my devices, it would be embarrassing. But I bring that up because one of the reasons why I have that much is because they integrate nicely together. Is there a smartwatch that possibly does more than the Apple Watch? I'm sure there is. But yeah. the reason why I use my Apple Watch is that there is a value add to how nicely things integrate. Now, are there times that I go outside of that ecosystem? Yes, I also have Amazon devices for my smart home. And so I think strategically similar at the technology that we're using in our learning experience and making sure that, you know, we're tightening the ecosystem as much as we can and then being intentional when we go outside of that ecosystem so that our students have a smoother experience because sometimes we think about students as, you know, those smiling faces in the commercials of, you know, sitting down by their laptop with the sun perfectly shining on them with a <laughs> cup of coffee. And my life is grand. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's that's not what it is, right? As a doctoral candidate myself, I can tell you that most of my work is nighttime. I'm tired from everything that happened in the day and I just want to get things done. And like as a your student, brain I'm wants not... to shut off at the end of the day. Like it's done. Exactly. So if, if a student is trying to get to a particular piece of technology that we're using, 
and they're having a problem, they're not going to say, oh, it's this specific tool that's not working. It's I can't complete my assignment for UMGC because such and such is not working. And so we're really wanting to tighten up that learning ecosystem experience so that it's as seamless as possible. I love what you're doing. And I'm so glad that you came on the show to talk about it. We're wrapping Thank things up here. Thank you for having here. me. Wrapping things up here. Not that I want to, because you and I could talk about this stuff all day long. <laughs> um, For sure. We could probably make this into three or four episodes, but I want to know if there's anything else that you'd like to share with the audience about yourself or things that you're doing. And then I want you to kind of be Nostradamus and tell us where the future of education is going, considering learning design and all the, the things that are happening. So anything else you'd like to share and what does the future look like? Yeah, the only, only other thing I would share is that the other thing that's sort of been informing my view on this learning design space has just been my dissertation also. My dissertation specifically is on experiences and persistent strategies of Black women in, in online doctoral programs. But in that genre of research and building the literature review and all of that, you know, I've been looking at just adult students and online learning in general. And there's such a strong connection to what we're seeing in the research and, you know, what we're beginning to see in trends right now. And so I think that that's really informed a lot of my thinking around this also, which is, again, how do we meet students where they are? How do we respond to the unique characteristics of our students, regardless of the institution? And for everything that happened with COVID and silver lining has been that we're having conversations now that we weren't having before about our students. So I think that's really exciting. Um, and I look forward to where that continues to go. I think that looking into the future, that's a really good question. I, would I know say... it, it, it's, it's like a, <laughs> it's like a, it's like a loaded question. <laughs> but like you, you want to be like, well, what are my thoughts? But what also you kind of, you're trying to combine like the trends that are happening to and kind of marry those together. And it's like, how do I say that? <laughs> yeah, I think. I, if I were to, if I were to take a guess, I think a couple of things. I think the first is, I think we're going to continue to see the way that people learn, or the or the modality of how people learn, continue to grow and evolve. I think alternative credentials, I think, are going to become increasingly popular because, again, we're in an era right now that you want to learn something. Yes, you may enroll at university, but you also may take a LinkedIn Learning course, or you may take a, a Udemy course. I think universities may continue to lean into that and offering a little bit more informal learning experiences that could maybe at some point stack up to a more formal credential. And I think I'm really interested in looking to see what inclusion looks like in learning experiences. This was a funny story. I have been writing my dissertation with the sixth edition of APA, not realizing that oh. I bought it I guess, spring of 2020. And I knew that a new one was coming out and I just didn't check the version number and I bought the previous version. So I was looking through my style guide though. There's a lot more language around inclusion to really help people make sure that what we're writing academically helps to bring people in, in terms of different identities. And I'm seeing that a lot also in some of the edgy cause trends to look at and, you know, just other leading organizations talking more about DEI. So I think that we're going to become increasingly culturally responsive as we continue to learn more about our students and identities that they may have that we may not have thought about because it wasn't visible in a brick and mortar setting. But now that we're at home more, um, that are just more readily apparent. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. They changed it on us like right in the middle of the program. They did. They did. And I just, I don't know. It was 2020. So I guess maybe you're just adjusting the lockdown, but yeah, I had the wrong edition. So yeah. I also have the fun task this weekend of like 
taking my seventh edition now and like combing back through everything (laughs) we need to do a dissertation (laughs) episode and i know a person that i could get to come on and and, that would be fun a therapy session yes yes around (laughs) all those things maybe it maybe to motivate me to go back into it but right now i'm not for it well jared thank you so much for being not only being my friend but also coming on the show and sharing about your best experience in this space and i really enjoy watching you and all you're doing i know we're we're on similar paths um especially with the dissertation but you're really a great motivator and i'm I'm so glad to have you in my network oh thank you so much and thanks so much for having me i um i had that waking up like the almost like that feeling of waking up the first day of school right and i was saying i get to be on holly's podcast today so i'm really <laughs> excited it's a great way to start today honestly with a friend and somebody who's supportive and that's what we're all about here at Ed up at tech so thanks so much jared thank you you've just experienced and another amazing episode of Ed up ed tech Be sure to visit our website at edupedtech.com to get all the updates on the latest edtech happenings. See you next time.